Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Numbers 28 and 29. Numbers 28 is where we're going to start. And also, if you are somewhat new here, if you have been visiting, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe past couple of months, and you're just looking to be able to say, okay, I'd love to know what, what grace is more, more so what it's about. Uh, today, after service, we have a newcomer's reception. We promise you we're not going to lock you in the room and make you stay against your will or answer all kinds of questions. We just want to be able to say, hey, here are some of our leaders. Just put some faces to some names. Um, if you want to come hang out with us, come learn more about God, come worship him together, please do. If not, enjoy some snacks and some conversation at this point in time. That's all it is. So uh, it's going to be in the great room uh, just down the hall this way. So when you go to leave, um, direct yourself that way, and you will find some, some refreshments, some snacks, and some hopefully smiling faces and good conversation. We're going to be smiling. Hopefully you will be too. So Numbers chapter 28. Having trouble for some reason, guys, for it to, to work for mine. So give me, give me just a second. Here we go. I got it now. All right. Numbers chapter 28 is where we're going to be at. Uh, let, me, let me start us off with prayer, and then we'll get into the, to the sermon. God, thank you for your son being our once and for all sacrifice. We are gathered together because your spirit now indwells your children, your believers from among all nations because of Christ dying in our place and rising again. Anything going on this morning, as Paul said earlier, um, in our hearts and our minds, we pray that you would have us submit that to you as part of our offering to you today. Please use this time to orient our hearts once again to Christ and not, not first and foremost to our selfish desires, but rather have those desires changed and transformed as we offer our sacrifice of praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How old were you? when you first appreciated the value of a calendar. Maybe some of you are thinking, like, it's a dollar. It's, that's all it really is. No, I'm not, not talking about that kind of value. And maybe you'd be thinking, I mean, what are you talking about a calendar? It's on my phone. I don't really need to go and buy a calendar. Um, trust me, if, if you're saying I don't really value a calendar, it tells me that you are still in high school or, or younger uh, or maybe even college and someone else does all your organization of your life for you. Um, so maybe it was in college that you first started to value a calendar when you had to write down your class schedule so that you wouldn't miss class, so that you would write down your work schedule so you wouldn't get mixed up with work and class, your midterms, your final exams, and some of you still remember those with fear. Maybe it was when you got your first job because you realized work showing up to work late doesn't really go over so well. Calendars orient our lives. Our whole lives, our commitments, and even our emotions are wrapped up in our calendars. We care about them, and yes, this includes even for children. Henrico County students and parents, when is the next time your student is to report to school? This is Tuesday, that's right. All right, so tomorrow is a teacher work day. All right, when is spring break? All right, we got it back here, April 5th. That's right. What is the last day of school? 
I hear, I hear mumbling. I hear people saying it to each other. <laughs> okay, it's in June. All right. Say it again. June 12th. All right. Our teachers know the calendar and when it ends, right, for school. All right. When you write in a calendar, if you still write on a physical calendar, do you write in small print so that you can squeeze in as much as possible in each little square? Or do you write in large print and only put stuff on the calendar outside of your normal routine? Personally, I'm a, I'm a large print type of guy. Um, I wish it was because I was trying to do something with this just because I like write large and don't know how not to. Um, if we're not careful, we can let our school calendar, our work calendar, our sport calendar, or our vacation calendar determine our calendar for worshiping God. Those different things, sport, play, school, work, vacation, those are supposed to be avenues of expression for the worship of God. But they can easily become our objects of worship if we're not careful. The focus this week with our text is having our lives and calendars built around the worship of God. So let's look at Numbers 28. Uh, I'm going to be going through uh, about the first 11 verses or so, and then after that we're going to go a couple of verses here and there at different points in time. I'll, I'll walk you through it, or you'll see it on the slides. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old, without blemish, day by day, as a regular offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also, a tenth and an ephah of fine flour for grain offering, mixed with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Like the grain offering of the morning and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering. Mix with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord. On the fourteenth day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. Oh, sorry, this is verse 16. And on the fifteenth day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. We shall not do any ordinary work, but offer a food offering a burnt offering to the Lord. Going on down to verse 26. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You should not do any ordinary work, but offer a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Going on to chapter 29, verse 1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets and you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Down to verse 7. On the tenth day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation and afflict yourselves. 
You shall do no work, but you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. Down to verse 12. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast of the Lord seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The worship of God always involves sacrifice. I was speaking to a young man the other day who's not a believer in Christ, who, uh, who grew up in a Soviet-influenced um, country. Uh, and so we were talking, and he's like, well, I mean, I'm not really a religious person. I, I just think we should do good things. And, and, what, and part of his reasoning was that, that worship, um, religion involves worship, which involves sacrifice, kind of implying that it's somewhat ar archaic. But the worship of God always involves sacrifice. You see, in every era of our lives, we actually sacrifice for what matters to us. And with Christianity, there is a sacrifice. You may not, you may not think this. You may think that all it is is just a ritual showing up on Sunday and being around other believers and, and saying the same things. But we do have a sacrifice. He was offered once and for all. His name is Jesus. In the Old Testament passage that we have here, there are various sacrifices, whether it's for a day or for the Sabbath, for the week, or for the month, for the year, and so on and so forth. Now, it is not exactly clear why the particular groupings of sacrifices were put with those particular time frames. So for the day, or for the week, or for the year. Um, I'm not really sure why, and sometimes you'll have one bull versus two bulls, or no bulls. I don't really, really understand that one. Um, other and commentators don't really understand it either. It's not exactly clear. What is clear is that worship involved sacrifice. Let me read to you about our sacrifice that I mentioned a while ago um, with Jesus. But in these sacrifices, this is from Hebrews chapter 10. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. The text in Numbers 28 and 29 refers to these sacrifices as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But did you hear Hebrews 10? According to Hebrews 10, the, the author is saying, look, Jesus is actually the one saying these things. You're not pleased with those sacrifices. Even though God is saying in this text, this is my pleasing aroma, so what's going on? We can say that the point of the pleasing aroma in Numbers 28 and 29 is not that God is looking for us to earn his approval. He provides the stipulations. He provides the structures. He provides the priests that do the sacrifices. He provides the animals for them to have. He provides the land for them to live in in order to do these things. He's the one providing in all these ways. You don't go and do these sacrifices this if somehow you can earn his approval. The point is not that God is temperamental. 
Do you ever have times when your kids know how to play you? They know exactly what to do to get you in the right mood for what you want. You know what, like when they want a new toy or a new bike or a new game or a new phone, they don't want to ask that when you're upset, right? They, they start to figure these things out, by the way, at an early age. Kids are not dumb. They're human beings made in the image of God. They can figure things out. They can figure you out. They watch you. They study you. They know when things are good. All right. This is not set up so that you can say, we want to get God in a good mood so we can get our new toy. That's not what the idea of a pleasing aroma with these sacrifices is about. His goodness and grace to us are not based on merit. He is good and has declared us his people by his grace and lets us enjoy his blessings as we dwell with him in obedience. If he disciplines us, it's either to tell us that we are wandering off in disobedience or even if we're in obedience, it might be to say you're not as mature in Christ as you need to be yet. By the way, if you're still breathing and with us, you're not as mature in Christ as you need to be yet. So don't be shocked if God brings discipline in your life. Okay? How much more pleasing is Christ's sacrifice than the animals that were to be sacrificed, according to Numbers 28 and 29? Jesus' sacrifice should orient our hearts and our lives. After all, you are what you love, and you will sacrifice for what is most important to you. Worship and relationship are costly. The animals, grain offerings, and drink offerings were substitutes for God's wrath, or they were offered as means of celebrating God's goodness, to celebrate knowing God. As you would sacrificially give of your wealth to provide food for parents or friends that are coming over to visit, God is calling us to remember daily that it is costly to have relationship even with him. God is pleased for his people to walk in love and obedience. So when we look at our passage, passage today, we see it's also clear that the worship of God was to orient the people's daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly routines with times of reflection and refreshment. Your calendar will either reveal or dictate your commitments. Your calendar will either reveal or dictate your commitments. Whoever or whatever you let determine your calendar then is going to orient your heart to itself or its desires. The point is not to say that your calendar is a magic portal, that if you somehow write this on there, it's going to definitely happen. If you write down, next week on Saturday, I will win the lottery, I'm pretty confident you won't be calling me to say that you have a large donation to the church that you want to give. But we do use our calendars to shape our days, our weeks, and our years. Earlier on the last slide, I used the phrase, you are what you love. Paul and I uh, read a book together last year, and the, the author uh, uses that phrase, and he points out that Part of love and worship is shaping and disciplining ourselves according to regular rehearsal. So, how are you daily orienting your heart and life to walk by the Spirit? How are you daily orienting your heart and your life to walk by the Spirit? What gets you up in the morning? 
I mean, actually gets you up in the morning. Like, not like, well, I might get up and maybe no, what forces you out of bed? Maybe it's so you can drink coffee. I, I, I see the addicts in here because they're shaking their heads. And, and it, it's not because they're agreeing with me because there's this, like, caffeine tick that forces them to shake their heads at this point in time. Maybe, maybe it's you already love coffee and just, you know, acknowledge that. But if you are daily having the routine where the first thing you do is get up and go push that coffee button, or maybe you've gotten to the point where you just, like, you've worked the system. You found that you can automatically have the coffee start for you. And so by the time you wake up, you smell it, and you are drawn to the coffee. If you're doing that, it's not just that you love coffee. You are training yourself to love coffee all the more. You are what you love. Maybe what gets you out of bed is your job. You don't want to roll out of bed until you have to. You figure out at the exact right time that you have to set the alarm, how many snoozes it takes for you to feel like you're actually awake, roll out of bed, get your, like, if you want to shower in the morning, some of you, I understand, don't, um, get your clothes on after that point in time, and then get to the office or get to your work with one second to spare. If that's you, be careful that you're not training yourself to value functionality above all other things. The ability to get things accomplished is the only thing that maybe gets you out of bed. You have to watch out. What about people that are not able to function? Do they have value still for you? What about whenever you no longer are able to accomplish the things that you once were? Will you still see yourself as valuable? Christian, if you believe in Christ, if you've given your heart and life to him, God has restored you to a right relationship with himself. You have a new heart and a new mind in Christ. You are nourished by orienting yourself to God daily. The first thing in the morning, by delighting in his word, by delighting in his words of comfort, by delighting in his wisdom, you get to say, God, I want you to be the one my life is about today. I want you to be the one I love and grow more in love with. Every morning and evening, Israel was to sacrifice as worship for Yahweh. The first and last thoughts of your day play an important part in how you train yourself to view God, how you view others, and how you view the world. Look, I'm, you know, I have, I have little girls in my house. Would it be good and wise to read dramatically horrible headlines from, from the news to them right before they go to bed? Would that be a wonderful, good idea for them? Would that be loving it all to them? No, it would not. Okay? I want to be able to read to them about truth. I want to read to them about love. I want to read to them about commitment, about sacrifice in all the best ways. Because I want the last thing they go to bed thinking about is how God would have them view him, how God would have them view this world, how they should view themselves. By sacrificing time and focus early and at night through devotion to the Lord, you train your heart to love God and others. Daily offerings of our heart and love to God train us to see the world rightly. I have my favorite TV shows, by the way. Me saying all this doesn't mean I've somehow figured it out. I'm all there. I've got my favorite TV shows. Um, probably my favorite TV show I watch every week is NCIS. 
I know when it comes on. I know what time. I like to be able to watch it on the days, the nights that it comes on before I go to bed. But I have to be careful. If I orient my day of that week to when NCS comes on, because then I'm going to go to sleep after that, and I'm just orienting my night toward that, then what I'm setting myself up for is orienting my life according to the direction of that show. And I'm letting it start to take control. We need to watch for what is shaping us for worship. How are you orienting your heart to the worship of God weekly? How do you start off your week? Many Christians in America see regular church involvement as attending one to two times per month. If you're not actively involved in the lives of fellow believers, as Paul was talking about earlier, and only gather with the church one to two Sundays out of a month, then you're only letting yourself be encouraged and strengthened by fellow believers three to seven percent of your days in a year. All right, I'm going to just let that one sink in for a second. If it's only one to two Sundays a month, and it's not even the whole day, is all that you're surrounding yourself with fellow believers on, that's only three to seven percent of your days in a year. That means that more than half of your year, you have weeks where you're being tested and tempted by the world without any fellow support from fellow believers or joining together in the worship of God to orient your hearts. Is it really that shocking when you feel that your faith is weak and attacked? It's anemic for a reason. You have the amazing, amazing opportunity that still, up to this point in time in America, is still unprecedented throughout the history of the world to gather with fellow believers without governmental persecution every Sunday. You also have the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with other believers in community groups and other ways throughout the week. Now, I'll acknowledge it is easy to miss such times for sports, for shopping, for entertainment. But what does it cost me to skip out on times with the body of Christ? It costs me contentment hope, joy, opportunities to love and encourage, as well as opportunities to be loved and encouraged, and that list is not exhaustive. How are you centering your schedule on the mission of Christ yearly? All right, this is where it's like you might, you might need to pull out your phone, but from the responses earlier, I have a feeling you already know. How many of you have already listed at least one vacation for 2020 on your calendar? How many of you have already mapped out when you're going to visit family or have them visit you from out of state or out of country? Um, what about those major events for work or for school? James tells us that we should plan our calendars contingent on God's sovereignty. Living by God's grace with our calendars is not just saying, if the Lord wills, as if you're fulfilling some legal obligation or you're just being lazy. I was speaking to a missionary about, um, I guess it was about 10 years ago, and he was a missionary to a, a Muslim country. And, and I said, well, if, if God wills. He's like, that sounds very much like the, the people I've, I've been around. Uh, they'll say, if, if Allah wills, as a way of getting out of something. You know, so it's like, I mean, it didn't happen, so Allah must have not meant it. No, that's not how a Christian means it whenever we are to say it, according to James. If the Lord wills, it should lead us to seek 
what the Lord wills with our days and with our years. At some point, your years will come to an end. At the judgment seat of Christ, you will not regret using your calendar and your time to love God and others. You will not regret growing in Christ's likeness, in, in holiness. You will not regret keeping your commitments and your covenants made before the Lord. You will not regret investing in your children with love and faith. You will not regret telling others about Jesus and helping them to grow in their faith. You will not regret ministering to the needs of those God has brought into your path. And you will not regret caring for the defenseless and the weak. You will not regret those things before Christ. But are those part of your calendar? Do you at least have margins in your calendar so that you can adjust to follow Christ in ways previously unplanned? One of the ways that you can calendar your year for the worship of God is by including times of spiritual reflection and refreshment. Did you hear about the different festivals and about the seventh month that the Israelites were to celebrate? Passover, what we now also know as Pentecost after that, and then also the seventh month, they were supposed to be times where they reflected back on God's goodness, on what he had accomplished. And it was supposed to be time for them to rest. Remember seeing you're to do no work, no ordinary work. Have you ever spent three hours in prayer and meditation on God's word? One pastor I know recommends that believers should set aside four times a year, once a quarter, to have these times of reflection with God. Here are some of the questions that you would consider in such times. What is God's word saying to you? What is God wanting to change in your life? What has God brought you through so far since the last time you had one of these times away? What is God wanting to prepare you for? What matters have you been holding on to instead of entrusting them to him? What has he done in your life that you have not praised him for yet? If you value investing in your relationship with your spouse so that you grow closer together, how much more should you invest intimate time in the most important relationship you have, the one with your creator, your savior, your sustainer? Do you take the opportunity to get away with fellow believers, away from your normal routine to help each other focus on your relationship with the Lord. Now, if you were to take all your calendars of your entire life, and I know how hard that would be to find them all. Uh, I've got some hidden in my desk from, from years past. Others, I'm sure, have been thrown away when we go to move from one house to another. But say you, you've got all those calendars somehow, and you're able, to, you're able to flip through them and start to see what they added up to. What would they tell you? How have you invested your life? What do all these different events that you scheduled point toward? Was your life a futile pursuit of self-fulfillment? Was your life an empty attempt to gain a new business that eventually you have to give up and pass on to someone else? Or was your life a pursuit of love and worship so that it overflowed with thanksgiving throughout your life's sacrifices to the Lord? You see, that's, that's what today's passage leaves us with. How do we orient our lives? What have we done with Christ's 
sacrifice. The Israelites' calendar and culture were pointing forward to Christ, the once and for all time sacrifice and bringer of a new day. Your life is but a vapor, according to Scripture. It's just grass. That's here one day, and then the spring comes, and you go and cut it, and it's gone. Ask some of our older members if it feels like yesterday that they graduated from school. The first time they met their spouse felt like just an hour ago. Or it just seemed like it was this week that they had their children. How quickly it passes by. You don't want to waste another year grasping after the wind. If you do, you will gain nothing, but you will lose another year. Everything was made by Christ, for him, through him, and to him. How can you and should you calendar your year for God? Lord, this is pretty convicting uh, to see that our entire lives really should be built upon Christ and his sacrifice and his mission. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this is just a decision that we can make and then uh, just go with the flow after that. Rather than fighting the spiritual battle of orienting a heart to Christ daily and doing so by your grace. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to be able to follow through on this one today and in the weeks and years to come. May Christ be our all in all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And Grace, now we just have a chance to just respond through song, so I just encourage you to stand with us and, and sing.
want to leave you with that passage I was referring to about everything being from Christ and through Christ and to him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Go, be blessed as you orient your life to him. You're dismissed. <laughs>